0: Much better than this, and so therefore, what a distinct privilege to open up the Word of God and to hear from Him uh, this morning as well. You know, ever since Jesus first rose from the dead, Christians all around the world have gathered to celebrate the gift of new life through the resurrection. And so I want you to open up your Bible. If you have one, if you don't have one, not a problem. It's going to be up on the screen for us to John chapter 3. We're going to hear and see Jesus interacting with a highly religious man. And we're going to learn about what it teaches us about God and about ourselves. And then straight after, we're going to celebrate together the gifts of baptism, and see for ourselves what God has been doing uh, in our community. So if you have a Bible, uh, John chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 1. This is the word of God to us this morning, church. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water, Lord God, we want to thank you again this morning for Jesus being alive. We thank you that 2,000 years ago that tomb was empty and that the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead. We come together now to celebrate and to hear from the risen Lord Jesus. And so we pray, open our eyes, open our hearts, help us to see and hear from your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to begin our time together as a church with something of a confession. I wanted to confess to you this morning, yes, I will confess that I am a chocoholic. Uh, Stretching back many years ago, Charlotte and I were still dating. Uh, Charlotte is now my wife. And uh, we were enjoying a block of Cadbury's chocolate, milk chocolate. Uh, you might be familiar with it. Very, very nice chocolate. And uh, Charlotte reached down to grab her first piece and felt, to her dismay, just the wrapper. And said, what? You made this whole thing before I even took one? I am a chocoholic. Uh, hitting my mid-30s, I'm no longer immune. I experience seeing that sort of increasing weight gain around the waist. I have to be careful. But the good news is I made a New Year's resolution. I made a New Year's resolution uh, and I had about eight weeks of success. Uh, The bad news is I've relapsed. Um, (laughs) But the good news is I can stop anytime I like. See, the problem with diets is you only need to keep them for the rest of your life. Uh, We all intuitively know that New Year's resolutions are difficult to keep. Uh, My sweet tooth, though, is a pretty small example of how difficult it can be to change old habits. A question I want us to think about together this morning is what about when there are more serious things in your life that you need to change? You find yourself blowing up in anger at your small children again. You try to apply yourself to your studies, to your work, and you find yourself continually distracted. You almost, without thinking, start criticizing others when you're with your friends, and it's not an issue until it seems to find its way back to them again and again. You're constantly exaggerating in order to seem impressive, but to keep up with what you've said, you're constantly making things up and forget what you have previously shared. You're drawn to those sites that you know you shouldn't be on, but as much as you try to stop, you just keep going back for more and more and more. Your wife and you constantly seem to argue, and when she says something you disagree with, you can never drop it. You argue your point until she cries, and you're filled with regret. It's not just that we struggle to change with things in life. More than that, the consequences for doing wrong in the eyes of others in our culture in many ways is on the rise. In our culture, it's easy enough while you're part of the in crowd uh, and caring about the right things, ticking the right boxes to get along just fine. The issue is when you mess up, when you make a mistake. We ever increasingly live in a shame culture where people Live in fear of being called out. Uh, David Brooks uh, stumbled across this article this week from the New York Times. He's an author there in the New York Times, a writer, columnist. And he writes this article called The Shame Culture, describing our culture, where he says the following. Many people carefully guard their words, afraid that they might transgress one of the norms that have come into existence. Those accused of incorrect thought face ruinous consequences. When a moral crusade spreads across campus, many students feel compelled to post in support of it on Facebook within minutes. If they do not post, they will be noticed and condemned. Listen to this everybody is perpetually insecure in a moral system based on exclusion and inclusion. There are no permanent standards, just the shifting judgment of the crowd. I wonder if you feel that this morning that sense of fear of being excluded. You know, in many ways, our culture's cry and the cry of every Disney princess is this. You can be whatever you want to be, whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. You can make whatever future you want for yourself as long as it's not hurtful or harmful to us. But do you know what the problem with that cry is? The problem is it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You cannot just be whoever you want to be. And our passage this morning is going to show us why that is the case. If you're a note taker this morning, I've entitled this message, The Myth of Self-Transformation. And I really I'm going to be seeking to convince you of one thing as we study the interaction of this deeply religious man uh, with three different things that he missed in his encounter with Jesus. But my hope is to convince you this morning simply that you cannot transform yourself. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus can transform you. That's what I believe this text shows us this morning, that self-transformation is a myth and a lie. You cannot transform yourself. But because of Jesus' victory over the grave, he can transform you. So let's dive right in with the first thing that this man, Nicodemus, missed, and that is that religion isn't enough. Read with me the first two verses of our passage this morning. He says this, it says this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So here is Nicodemus, this deeply religious man and highly respected in his culture and among his people. You know, Pharisee today in our culture means hypocrite. Uh, Then it meant religiously conservative, maybe like an evangelical or reformed. In John chapter 7, we learn that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. That's kind of like a combination of local government and the courts all in one. They made decisions on local moral and legal affairs, and it was a prestigious group, a prestigious governing body. But more than just another member, verse 10, Jesus shows us that he had a special title. His title was the teacher of Israel. That means that Nicodemus was a recognized master of the Jewish law. He was an established religious authority. Uh, Today we might call him something like the Reverend Professor Dr. Nicodemus or something of that sort. But notice how he came to Jesus. He came, the passage says, by night. There's a degree of nervousness about association with Jesus. See, Jesus had many enemies. Yes, he had a large following, but he said highly controversial things, like claiming to be on equal footing with God, like claiming to be able to forgive sins. And so Nicodemus comes to him and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. See, Nicodemus is deeply respectful of Jesus. He calls him rabbi, even though Jesus never had any formal training as a teacher. A rabbi is a Jewish word for a teacher. Nicodemus is so deeply respectful for Jesus. And we hear in chapter 2, just previously, that it's likely because Jesus had been performing many miraculous signs in Jerusalem. And Nicodemus had seen these signs and was curious, was compelled to go and find Jesus. And so he says, God must be with this man. How else are all of these things possible? But what Jesus then says to Nicodemus is earth-shattering. Verse 3, we read the following. Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, or perhaps born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying to be included in God's kingdom, to be part of God's new people, you need a transformation from above. You need a transformation from heaven. And this transformation needs to be so radical, it's like starting life again. It's like being born. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you need radical transformation by God to enter his kingdom. Put another way, Nicodemus, unless God transforms you, you won't be included in his new people. Now, this would have been shocking. I mean, what? You mean God would exclude one of the most respected people of his day? One of the most deeply religious? One of the greatest minds? There is no doubt this would have been completely unexpected to Nicodemus. All of his religious zeal was insufficient to gain him inclusion into God's kingdom. You know, you might be joining us today for the first time as a a secular person who's somewhat skeptical about organized religion, and with an awareness of some of the abuses of religious people, and you might feel a little bit pleased with Jesus' comments. The truth is, Jesus' comments about the need for personal transformation are, in fact, far more wide-reaching than just for simply religious leaders. He applies it, in fact, to all people. He says, unless a person is born from above, they cannot. This is something for everyone. You know, we might in our culture look down on someone as religious as Nicodemus. But the truth is, we're actually all religious in our own ways. Why is that the case? Well, I I put to us this morning that actually secularism, our secular culture, is in fact simply a new kind of religion. Uh, According to the Oxford definition, religion is a, a particular system of faith and worship. That's what religion is about. It's about faith and worship. And so is our secular culture. See, you can't prove the existence of God. But you also can't disprove the existence of God either. Therefore, belief in the existence or non-existence of God is a matter of faith. Similarly, secular faith claims that and holds that the material universe is all there is. Secular faith holds that there is no God. Secular belief holds that there's no life beyond the grave. A secular worldview holds that humans all have intrinsic dignity and worth and that we share human rights. And yet none of these are empirically provable points. They're all tenets of faith. Secular belief has a system of worship as well to honor those who have achieved great things towards our technological progress or by devoting ourselves to material causes like the environment or education or the accumulation of possessions or relationships or experiences or social good. It involves sacrifice of energy and time and wealth and abilities to serve these new gods. You know, perhaps the secular version of Nicodemus in our day is... The great philanthropist who devotes their treasure to material causes. Great people like uh, Bill Gates or, if you're younger here, Mr. Beast uh, on YouTube. and Jesus is saying to this religious man and to all people, religion is not enough. Even if you make it to the very top of your field, it is not enough. You won't see his kingdom without transformation. And that's the first thing Nicodemus missed, that religion is not enough. But he also missed, secondly, that the problem is our hearts. You see, Nicodemus was deeply puzzled by what Jesus is saying. And he says to Jesus, how can a person be born for a second time? Can they enter their mother's womb again? And Jesus explains this. He explains the following in verses 5 and 6. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. You know, Jesus' words here to our modern ears are a little bit puzzling. What does this all mean? Yet he's speaking in a language and in a way that would have been clearly understood to his own people. He's referring to a famous passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. God's people at this time had repeatedly rejected God for wild living, selfish gain, and other gods. And God had allowed them to be conquered by the Babylonian Empire and taken into exile in modern-day Iraq. And so we read the following from the prophet Uh, Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 36, he says to God's people at this time, away in Iraq, he says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to be obey my rules. See, God promised to these scattered people that he would gather them. And he would sprinkle water on them to cleanse them. And he would give them a new heart and a new spirit. You see the root issue for these people wasn 't simply that they were living the wrong way, but that they had hearts that were like stones that didn 't love God and didn 't want to change. You know the idea of a heart of stone it 's a beautiful word picture isn 't it? If you get a stone and you put it in your heart uh, in your hand and you squeeze it, what happens to that stone? Nothing happens, and that 's what the picture is it 's A picture of people that are resistant to change. That are unmovable. And God's promise to his people is heart transformation. That he will soften their hearts. That he will give them his spirit. That he will give them the same desires that God himself has. And what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus that everyone has a physical birth but that what is needed is birth from above, a spiritual birth. What we need is not to simply improve ourselves to to one who could attain, no one could attain greater personal achievement than what Nicodemus had achieved. He was part of the elite ruling class. He was pious. He was the master of the scriptures. He was highly respected. What we need is heart transformation to change our deepest desires and yet it's not that simple is it you know uh, we have a running club in waitara called waitara joggers and we have a member of our club who used to represent australia in the marathon Uh, his name's Stu, and i think he's run a marathon about two hours and 18 minutes Um, if you're into marathons you'll know that's very very quick and I, i remember saying to him Stu, that's amazing what you've done representing australia and he's like oh brendan you could do it too Uh, You just need to train enough. You just need to, you know, just really train a lot and you could have achieved what I've achieved. Now let's just park for a moment the ludicrous physical side of things that simply is not possible for me. There's a deeper issue I have, isn't there? Even if I had the physical ability, I just don't want to. (laughs) I don't want to run 120 kilometers a week. The issue is deeper than our physical abilities, isn't it? It's our hearts as well. It's our desires. Jesus is saying that all our best efforts at self-transformation don't go deep enough. Our problem is far deeper than our outward actions. And this resonates with us as being true. In our neighborhood, we're very good at keeping up appearances, aren't we? And they're just that. Appearances. The right dress and clothes, the right car, the right property, the right schools, the right holidays, saying the right things. And yet, inside we know that we are plagued with weaknesses, failures, self-doubts and insecurities. We don't keep our own standards, let alone God's standards. You know, why do we keep seeing scandals in the church or amongst public figures? We have a problem that's deeper than outward appearances. We have a problem in our hearts. But not just the problem with our hearts, the third thing that Nicodemus missed was that Jesus was all he needed. You know, how do you, in fact, change your heart? How can you possibly transform your deepest desires? This is exactly the question Nicodemus asked Jesus in response to his declaration of the need for heart transformation. How can this be? And Jesus' answer to Nicodemus is that he himself. Is the cure to our heart sickness. I wonder if you've ever noticed the symbol for medicine that we have in our culture. I wonder if you've ever looked at that symbol before. It's quite an odd symbol. It's like a little pole and there's a snake wrapped around it as well. Seems quite strange, doesn't it? It's actually taken from the Old Testament. Uh, There was a plague of venomous snakes amongst God's people. And these snakes had killed thousands of people. And God instructs Moses to make a bronze snake and put it on a pole so that anyone who looks at it will be healed. It's kind of appropriate as a symbol for medicine when you understand that. Now let's keep that in mind and read together what Jesus says to Nicodemus. In verse 13 of our passage, Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, that's the healing serpent, so much must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. How can I change my heart? How can I transform what's wrong with my deepest desires? Jesus is saying, just like the snake that was lifted up in the wilderness and anyone who looked at it would be healed, I'll be lifted up on the cross and simply look at me and you'll be healed. Something incredibly simple. Look to Jesus on the cross and experience transformation. Now, if you're here today and you're not a religious person, The Bible agrees with that sense you have that all people carry a deep dignity and a deep worth and value. The reason the Bible gives is that we were made in the image of God Himself. And therefore, we are made by Him to reflect and represent His very nature. See, according to the Bible, our value is not in what we achieve in this life, It comes from who made us in the first place. Our purpose is to be like him, to share his same heart, to love God and therefore to love others that God has made. But the reason for the sickness in our hearts isn't simply our circumstance. It's not simply our parents or the things that have been done to us. It's not our experience in life. It's not the result of bad governance or a lack of opportunity. It's because we've been cut off from the loving heart of God himself. We were made to love and serve God and to sacrificially love and serve others. But Adam and Eve chose instead to chart their own path. They chose the path of self-determination. But we were designed to be sacrificial servants of God, to love and serve Him and to love and serve others, and yet we have become self-obsessed. We are so focused on ourselves We're enslaved to our own passions and desires. They own us. Why do we keep doing the things we really don't want to do over and over again? Why do we find it so hard to genuinely care for others and to care about others? We've become trapped by our own cravings. And we continually reject God's good purposes for us. And our rejection of God, that's the cause of the inner turmoil we feel. That's the cause of our heart sickness. But God has reached out to us in order to rescue us from our self-obsession. God is our creator. He doesn't owe us anything at all. He has every right to leave us be just as we are. And yet the verse that follows, our passage is John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave His very only Son, that anyone who believes in Him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. See, the cross is the beautiful message that God sent His Son, our Lord Jesus, to die in our places, our substitute. To take the just anger of God for our betrayal of Him. And to, like the snake in the wilderness, be lifted up so that anyone who looks to Him could find healing. But today we remember not just his death on the cross, we remember that death could not hold him back. We remember that he was raised to life again from the dead, that God did not abandon him, but that God, like with Jesus, will fix the corruption, the death, and the brokenness in our world. See, the the truth is that life that is not eternal, it isn't life. Without the resurrection... All beauty in this world is just like cut flowers that are just waiting to die. But because Jesus is alive, he transforms the lives of those who look to him by the Holy Spirit to ever increasingly share his same heart as he prepares us for eternity. And like Moses called people to look at the snake on the pole, so he is calling people today to look to his cross, to return to God and to receive healing in Jesus' name. God is creating a new people back in tune with him, loving him and loving others as well. See, at this moment in our passage, Nicodemus couldn't imagine who it was that stood before him. You know, we learn the same from Jesus in verse 11. Verse 11, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Nicodemus did not yet accept what Jesus was saying. Yet somehow the works and ministry of Christ had a profound impact on this man's life. Such that by chapter 7, Nicodemus is defending Jesus before the Sanhedrin such that by chapter 19 we see Nicodemus risking his neck alongside Joseph of Arimathea to claim Jesus' body and anoint it with enough spices to anoint a king. Nicodemus has become a disciple. In a moment, we're going to celebrate Jesus' resurrection through baptism as two people give testimony to how trust in Jesus has transformed their lives. And I just wanted to pause, though, as we close with some brief applications for all of us today. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet following Jesus. How do we make sense of this religious man and what he missed for Jesus? Well, the simple response is to look to Jesus. Put your trust in Him. You know, if you want to put your trust in Him today, all it involves is receiving him as your Lord, saying Jesus is who he says he was, he's the king of kings, and I will give my life to follow him. You know, If you want to pray and receive the Lord Jesus as your king today, we want to invite you to come and speak to one of us. You can speak to the person who brought you, you can speak to anyone wearing those black welcome shirts or at the Welcome Center. We would love to help you in that direction. Or maybe you're here today and you're just like Nicodemus was, curious You've seen some signs. You've seen the difference Jesus seems to make in people's lives and it's left you with questions. We want to invite you to come today and sign up to Alpha. What a great opportunity to start a discussion about the purpose and meaning of life. And you can do that, again, through the Welcome Center and out those doors. But if you're here and you are, in fact, following Jesus, well, have confidence today, friends, that he will complete in you the transformation he began. You know, if you met me many years ago, uh, many years ago, you, you might not believe uh, what I was like. You know, I may still today be struggling with eating chocolate, but God has performed an amazing work in my life. You know, many years ago, I was a young man who was deeply obsessed with myself. I was paralyzed by what people thought of me, and I constantly lived in fear of disappointing others. And yet through the work of the Lord Jesus in my life, I've experienced a transformation. God is ever increasingly changing my heart to love and care most of all about him and others. And I believe today that, that for all of us, whether you're new to Jesus or you've been following him for many years, the beautiful hope we have is that he never leaves things half done and that he will complete what he began. See, friends, self-transformation is a myth. It's an illusion. But through faith in the Lord Jesus, you can be transformed in a way greater than anything you can imagine. To share the heart of Christ himself. Would you pray with me as we close our time? Lord Jesus, we want to thank you today for the beautiful gifts of knowing the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his beautiful life That he would be willing to come and to humble himself to die in his place. Lord, today we want to also thank you for the beautiful gift of his resurrection from the dead. That just like Jesus rose from the dead, so too for all who put their faith in him, we will experience new life. And thank you that through the Holy Spirit, you are present right now, transforming those who look to Jesus on the cross as their hope and salvation. Lord God, would you ever increasingly help us to put confidence not in ourselves to change, but in you, the one who loves to change us. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.